Okay, I think I got it together. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Samuel. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel? And uh, we've just got started in here. It's Palm Sunday. Isn't that awesome? And I didn't, I didn't want to just, oh, kids, I'm being told. That's the move back there. Kids, we're dismissing you back door, okay? So you can sneak out there. And uh, your teachers are going to lead you off, okay? So they're head up. So we're diving into 1 Samuel, and uh, this is the story of God's people's search for a king. <laughs> they looked around to the nations around them, and they wanted to be like the nations around them. It wasn't that there wasn't a king. God had established himself as their king. But they looked, they compared themselves to the nations around them, and we said, we want a physical king like those nations. And so the Bible begins to tell us, because they could not set their eyes on a physical king, they began to live as though they had no king. We've, we've talked a lot about this in the, in the previous months, that, that Israel as a people, as a nation, was in a crisis. There was a leadership vacuum because there was no king that they could physically set their eyes on. And so every man, every woman was doing as they saw fit, living their lives by their own sovereign rules, so to speak, and ignoring the Lord. And as we turn to, you know, 1 Samuel and we look at this story again, I'll just remind you that amongst the people of God, what had happened was this. Amongst a nation, truth had become relative. Each man had his own truth. And they lived as though there were no moral absolutes. They, they, they lived how they wanted to live, and the nation was in a crisis. There was a lot of spiritual darkness. It's crazy to think about it, because it doesn't sound a lot unlike our nation, don't you think? A lot of spiritual darkness, a lot of moral chaos, a lot of people not knowing which way to turn, a lot of people not knowing who to serve, a lot of people not knowing where truth is. So God did this, and the Old Testament tells us this story it's kind of the story of the Old Testament. God made a provision for people. He showed them a way so that they could come to him in their sin and in their brokenness, and he would provide for them. He, he, he instructed Moses to build a tabernacle. The Lord instructed them to establish a priesthood. And the Lord established a, a system of sacrifices, and they would do something that we call atonement, right? The people would come, and they would bring a sacrifice to the Lord, and the priest would offer the sacrifice on their behalf. He would mediate for them. He would mediate between man and God, and this sacrifice would be killed. Blood would be shed, and it would all happen at this place called the tabernacle. And, and it worked like this, that, that if you sinned, and every one of us sins, every person sins, that's how it is. We all break God's laws. You could go to the tabernacle, the place of God's presence, and by meeting with a priest and by bringing a sacrifice and that sacrifice being uh, uh, killed, the blood being shed, your sin would be atoned for. It would be covered. And God would have mercy on you and he would forgive your sin. And, and the priest would act on your behalf. Now, what we're about to read is crazy because, you know, a lot of the early books of the Bible are committed to explaining this whole system to us so that we would understand that sin is atoned for, it's covered, it's forgiven when blood is shed. A life for a life. And it's very important. Now the problem was, in Israel, there was this moral, spiritual leadership 
crisis vacuum, and it had extended all the way into the house of God. That's happening in our own country. The vacuum has extended into the house of God. And it had extended into the priesthood. In fact, instead of the priest pointing people to God, they were participating in the moral chaos. They were actually taking the lead, as we're about to see, and turning people from God rather than leading them to God. Check it out. In verse 12, it says this. Now, the sons of men, chapter 2, 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to pick it up. We've, we looked last week at the birth account of this Young man called Samuel who is set apart unto the things of God. God is raising up a judge. He is raising up a man who is going to be a voice for the Lord in the midst of this generation. He's going to be a prophet named Samuel, but he's just a little boy. And his mother's brought him to the temple. And now we, we read what happens here. It says this in verse 12. Now the sons of Eli, he's the high priest, were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Some translations say the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They were sons of wickedness. That's what it says. Worthless. They were good for nothing. And the scripture is not flowery about these guys. This is the statement that sums it up. The Lord says, the scripture says, they did not know the Lord. Isn't that crazy? They didn't know him, which is, which is going to tell us that all we're about to read regarding these men is not a good thing. This is... The Holy Spirit being very honest in the authorship of the scripture. He's just telling us about the hearts of people and what is going on. And, and all through this text, we're going to be contrasted. We're going to, these men are going to be contrasted against this young man, Samuel. So check it out. Verse 13 says this. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come. And while the meat was boiling with a three-pong fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Now, this wasn't a bad thing. This was a good thing. You know, these, this was the normal practice. This is how a priest and his family were fed. He wasn't out working in the workforce. He wasn't working out in the fields or applying a trade like a, a lot of the other men and families. And he, he, worked, he worked at the tabernacle. So he drew his provision from the gifts that were brought to the house of God. And that, that was okay. He was entitled to a portion of that. But let's check that out. So let's check out what happens. It says this in verse 15. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast. He will not accept Boiled meat, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let the fat, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if you do not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord for the man treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So this is crazy. We just get a picture of what's going on in the house of God. It's wrong on it. A number of levels. Firstly, you know, there are these people who are bringing offerings and they're bringing them to the Lord. And these men, the sons of Eli, are exploiting what is going on. The sons of Eli were supposed to be serving the people. And instead of serving the people, they're actually threatening physical assault against them. It's like, you'll do what we say. 
or you're going to get a whooping. You, we're going we're to throttle you. And they would assault them, and they would steal food for the sacrifice. That's what this is telling us. This is crazy, isn't it? I mean, and so secondly, not only are they mistreating the people, they're mistreating the Lord, aren't they? Uh, they were robbing God by taking the fat portions. And when a sacrifice was made, the fat of the animal was the portion that was belonged to the Lord. The book of Leviticus tells us this many times. That when the fat was burned, it was like an aroma pleasing to the Lord, that the Lord loved it. It, it rose into his presence, like the prayers of the saints. The Lord, the Lord said, the fat's committed to me when, a, when an offering is burned. And, and so specifically, they said, no, 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 the fat, we take the fat. It, we get the fat along with the meat. And so this was serious. This is a serious sin against the Lord. But then we read, in contrast, the story of little Samuel. And the author's going to go back and forth between the sons of Eli and, and Samuel. Check it out. This is awesome. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A boy with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord so they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah. And she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. I mean, here's Samuel. He's ministering before the Lord. Three times, actually, this text is going to tell us that Samuel's ministry was before the Lord. While these guys are doing this stuff, Samuel's doing this, and I love what the Lord did for Hannah. I mean, we talked about Hannah so much last week. Isn't it awesome? Like, barren womb, unable to have children. She sought the Lord. God opened her womb. She said, I'm going to give you this firstborn son, Lord. I'm bringing him to the house of God. Samuel was committed to the service of the Lord, and, and the Lord blessed her, and every year she'd come, and she'd bring her little boy a new robe for that year, and he's serving in the house of God, and, and the Lord continued to pour out his blessing on Hannah, and she bore other children, three sons and two daughters. And, and all along, Samuel's growing up in the presence of God, learning to serve the Lord. And that's, that's important because God has something special in store for this young boy. But then on the other hand, we go back to the story of Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. And they're headed further in the other direction. Check it out, verse 22. Now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is, not, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord... Who can intercede? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And so here's Eli, hearing all the rumors floating around about what was going on with his sons and what they were doing, how they were treating the house of God like it was their own brothel. And so he confronts them. And they wouldn't listen. And, and again, this is contrasted. Right away, it's contrasted against Samuel, who's going to hear the voice of God and respond. These men won't listen to the voice of their father, and they, they, they ignore their father. But Samuel, we're going to see, he's, he's a young boy who responds to the word of the Lord. Verse 26, now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor 
with the Lord and also with men. I love that statement. I mean, when you turn to the Gospels, we actually read this exact same statement about Jesus. Remember that time when, when he stayed behind at the temple and his parents didn't realize that he was with, wasn't with them and they headed home and then when they came to their sense, hey, where's our kid? They turned around and they went back and he said, didn't you know that I'd be at my father's house? And then the Bible tells us that Jesus grew in stature and in favor with man and with God. And God was with this child, Samuel. And and the idea of this text is not that we would turn, I'm going to just say this, it's not that we're going to turn Samuel into a hero. We don't want to do that. Samuel is setting a pattern for us. Like in all the scripture, there is a pattern. There's a foreshadow. There's an example being set so that we would know the one we should look for. And so Samuel is going to point, his life is going to be a picture that should point us to Jesus because Samuel's not perfect. He's not perfect, but Jesus is. Now verse 27, and there came a man from God. We're going we're gonna to fly over a lot of text this morning. And there came a man from God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I not reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt sub- and subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear the ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn the sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? So the Lord sends this man of God to Eli and he confronts the wickedness that is going on and And he describes to Eli all that God has done for the house of Aaron, for the house of the high priest. He says that God revealed himself to your forefathers. He made himself known. He brought you into relationship with God. And he showed you how to have relationship with God and and how you can serve him and how you can lead the people to do so. And and in verse 28, he says this, that God chose This line and this family out of all of the tribes of Israel, the house of Levi and the line of Aaron to serve him as priests. And they had the privilege of serving God and all the benefits and the blessings of the priesthood. And God gave to them, not only did he reveal himself and choose them, but God gave to them a food from his own offerings. He shared it with the house of Aaron. And so the Lord charged him. You've honored your sons above me. You have fattened yourself on the choicest parts. You knew what they did and you participated and you be- by benefiting in, in their crimes. And so here is Eli, you know, he's the high priest. Maybe he couldn't stop his sons, but he could have kicked them out of the tabernacle. He could have kicked them out of the house of God. He could have removed them from the priesthood, but he didn't. So we, let's read on. Verse 30. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I have promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who will despise me shall be lightly esteemed. The Apostle Paul said it this way, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Verse 31 says this, behold... The days are coming 
when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on all Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out and to grieve his heart and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. So this is like a tragic judgment of the Lord against the house of Eli. The result's this. The Lord says, no man in your family line is going to grow old. There's going to be premature death in your family. Men are going to die by the sword. And eventually, the priestly line of your family is going to come to an end. Now look what else this man of God says, verse 34. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. Now we're going to read about this in the weeks to come after Easter when we get back into um, the book of 1 Samuel here. We're going to read about uh, the fulfillment of these words, how these men are going to die, what's going to happen to, to Eli himself. And, and if you jump all the way to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, during the reign of King Solomon, David's son, the Bible specifically tells us how the Lord fulfilled this prophecy against the house of Eli. That Abathar, that Saul, Solomon removed a man that, by the name of Abathar from the priesthood. And the text says, fulfilling the word of the Lord against Eli and their line was over. And one of Eli's sons that we read about here is named Phineas. It's crazy because I, I was thinking back to when we were in Judges, we saw a character by the name of Phineas, the grandson of the high priest Aaron. And in the book of Numbers, Phineas was honored by the Lord. Do you remember the story of Balaam and his talking donkey? One of the great stories from the Bible. And Balaam tried to curse the people of God and he was unable to curse them. And so he came up with a plan. He hatched a plan against Israel and he instructed the kings of Moab. I'm not allowed to curse Israel. God won't let me do it. So here's what you do. Send your young women in amongst the men of Israel. Seduce them. Uh, lead them into sexual immorality and then entice them to worship the gods of the Moabites. And when you do that, you will incur the anger of God against his own people. And Yahweh will act against his people. That's how you get these guys. And so the plan successfully unfolded. Numbers chapter 25 tells us about that. And God sent a plague against his own people because they were acting in sexual immorality and, and worshiping other gods idolatrously. And, and so as the people began to come to their senses, they began to gather before the Lord and repent. And right before their eyes, as they were seeking the Lord, one young Israelite man took a Moabite woman into his tent. And the scripture tells us that Phinehas followed them into that tent. Remember this story? And he thrust a spear right through the two of them. And the Bible says the plague was stopped. And Phineas was a hero amongst them. He was a man zealous for righteous things. And, and so here in the Bible, we've got two men named Phineas. One's, one's a hero, one's zealous for the things of God who put an end to fornication and, and what was going on amongst the people of God. And then you have this second Phineas, who treated the house and the sacrifices of God with contempt and, and practiced lots of evil stuff. And the result is this, that God brings this family priestly line of Eli 
and Aaron to an end. Now check out verse 35. It says this. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Now, as we read on in the book of 1 Samuel here, we're going to read about the rise of Samuel. He's going to be a faithful priest. He's going to be raised up from a family line, and he's not going to be part of the house of Aaron. He's of another priestly line. And he is going to be faithful to the heart and the mind of the Lord. And of course, this is a picture of who for us? It's Jesus. Jesus is not from the priestly line of Aaron. That priestly line of Aaron failed. The book of Hebrews tells us all about the problems with the line of Aaron. The problem with the line of Aaron was that that perfection through the law, the book of Hebrews says, could never be attained. That eternal life could never be achieved through obedience to Mosaic law, to Old Testament laws. The problem with the line of Aaron, the family line of Eli, was this, is that perfection was unattainable, that a man could not be perfect before the Lord and righteous before the Lord. Eternal life could not be achieved. No one could perfectly obey the law. And so that means the work of Aaron's priesthood would perpetually never end if that system remained. It would never be complete. There could never be enough sacrifices made. There could never be enough blood shed. There could never be a long enough line of priests ever, ever, because it just would never accomplish what it needed to be accomplished. So God did this. He raised up another priest, Jesus, our great high priest. And he is both priest and sacrifice. And he offered himself as the once for all sinless sacrifice for all of mankind. And Hebrews tells us Jesus' priesthood is better than the line of Aaron's because his priesthood is eternal. His priesthood is better because it is perfect. His priesthood is better because his sacrifice is complete once for all. Jesus' priesthood is better because his word says that he will then perfect that which concerns you. Jesus' priesthood was established by his resurrection from the dead. And and his priesthood, the Bible says, is empowered by this, that his life is indestructible. And the Lord swore about Jesus. The Lord said, I have established you. I've made an oath that I have established you as priest and I will not change my mind. You are a priest forever. That's what the scripture says about Jesus. That's why the Bible says this, that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant, a new covenant, one in his blood, the blood of his sacrifice. And Jesus is the priest who can meet all of our needs. He's the one we can go to for access to God. He's the priest who who mediates between humans and God. God, Jesus is, is holy. He's blameless. He's without sin. He's set apart. He's pure. The scripture says he's exalted above heaven and earth. That he's personally without sin and he's victorious over death and the devil and the grave. And that he is seated at the Father's side and he doesn't need endless sacrifices. 
Doesn't need to make sacrifices for his own sin because he's without sin. Doesn't need to offer endless sacrifices for your sin because he offered himself once for all. So Eli here says to his sons, if you sin against man, a priest can mediate for you and things can be made okay. But if you sin against God, what are you going to do? Who's going to mediate for you? And the Bible says this, that we've all sinned against God, every single one of us. We have sinned against him. And the answer to Eli's question, who will mediate between a man and God, is this, Jesus will. Jesus will. Jesus is mediated on your behalf. That's what the cross is about. That's what the resurrection is about. Now check out verse 36. It says this, and everyone who is left in your house shall come and implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may have, that I may eat a morsel of bread. This is the prophecy that these men have lived off the fat, but the time's going to come when they're going to beg for bread. It's like the great reversal. Hannah prophesied this when she sang. Check out 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 5. It says this. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. Now, let's, let's read on. Let's get to the good stuff, all right? Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the house, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. It says the word of the Lord was rare. Now I don't know about you. I think that that's a good way to have a steak. I like it medium rare, but that's a bad thing when it comes to the word of God. Rare is a bad thing when it comes to the word of God. And we're told this, that there weren't many visions. In fact, immediately we're going to be told this. It's the, the, I love this story. That, that Eli's eyesight was actually failing him. That his eyes had grown dim and he could no longer see. He can't see physically. And he doesn't have spiritual vision. There's a lack of vision, a lack of ability to see. Verse 2, and at that time, Eli whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. What a picture. He's in the, here's, here's Samuel. He's in the tabernacle. The, the lamp was that great candelabra called the menorah. It lit the tabernacle with light. It's meant to be a spiritual picture. It hadn't, it hadn't quite burned out yet. Visions were not frequent. Eli's eyes were dim. He couldn't see. The light is almost out, but it's not out. It's not out yet. There's hope. That's what this text is telling. There's hope. The word of the Lord was rare. Sometimes, again, yeah, it feels like that in our day, doesn't it? But I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, the lamp's not out. The lamp's not out. Jesus said that he's the head of his church and that the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. The gates of hell won't prevail. 
The lamp is not out. God's light is still shining. It's still, it's, God is still shining and his lamp cannot be ex- extinguished. And God is not going to remain silent. I, I like actually Kevin said something a few times lately. I've heard you say, Kev, that, that it seems like in our day, God is raising up new voices to proclaim the word of God. See, God's word is light. David said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word brings light. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said by his word, let there be light. God's word brings forth light. John chapter 1 tells us that God's word became flesh, and in him was life, and the life was the light of man. And Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. And there's Samuel He's lying down in the presence of God. The light is not quite out. And he is before the Ark of the Covenant. And isn't that crazy? I often think about this. Like, how does that work? I thought you could only go into that inner tabernacle once a year, the high priest. And if anybody else went in there, they're struck dead. But it's somehow, some way, Samuel was before the presence of God, sleeping, resting. And it makes me think this. Like, what a great picture he is to say that when the light is dim, Seek the presence. When the the light seems like it's being extinguished, seek the presence of God. And then verse 4 tells us this amazing story. Then the Lord called Samuel. And he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli. Here I am, for you called for me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and laid down. Verse 6, the Lord called him again. Samuel, Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. I don't know. I wonder what, you know, Eli's thinking, oh, it's supper. You know, his tummy's rumbling. He's having a hard time sleeping. He's Come and run into me for some comfort, whatever it is. But he sends him back. I didn't call you. And the Bible tells us that Samuel, all this time he's been ministering before the Lord, but he didn't yet know the Lord. Isn't that crazy? The word of God had not been revealed to him. And God was calling him, but he didn't know the voice of the Lord. You know, back some time, time ago, like when all this live streaming stuff was going on uh, that continues to go on, and we had closed our church last spring, I went to the grocery store, and I ran into someone. And it's kind of been fun, right, to like run into people, and they're like, hey, I've been checking out the church. I've been watching online, or this, and I'm like, wow, I can't believe this person, wow, I can't believe this person watching. It's like awesome. And so I run into the store, and I run into somebody that I wasn't expecting, and he says to me, uh, hey, I watched your church live stream. And I was like, wow, sweet. But as soon as he said that, he kind of was like embarrassed. He didn't want to admit that he'd been like creeping our church online. So he went, ah, I don't know why I would do that, he says. I've been watching your live stream. Ah, I don't know why I'd do that. (laughs) Actually, you know, it was kind of rude. (laughs) But I didn't care because I was like super stoked. I'm like, sweet, that is awesome. So I I went home, I told Lisa what happened. 
And she said something that I loved. He's like, yeah. I said, yeah. And he said, I don't know why I'm watching that. And she's, and she's like, wow, that was rude. And I'm like, yeah. But she goes, you know what? God's calling him. He just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> he just doesn't know it yet. This text reminded me of him and reminded me to be praying for him. See, the problem for Eli was this, is that he didn't know the voice of the Lord. The word of God didn't, hadn't yet been revealed to him. And so God called him and he got up and he ran to the wrong place. Ran to the wrong person. He ran to Eli. He thought Eli was calling him. And like I said, Eli probably thought your tummy's growling, whatever, you're a young kid, you need comfort, whatever it is. But I love this account. Check out verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived, finally he perceives, that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. So when it happens the third time, Eli finally realizes Man, this kid's not just having a hard time sleeping here. Something significant is happening. God is calling him. And he gives great advice. If he calls you again, just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I think that's great advice. Like, if you ever, like, just wake up in the night and you're like, why am I awake? Just say this in your heart, Lord. Lord, are you waking me up? Speak, your servant's listening. You ever get the Lord speak to you into the night, in the night? It's an awesome thing. If you're watching online and, and you don't know Jesus, look, I, I would just say to you, say in your heart to God, speak, your servant's listening. I'll do what you say. You just speak. And so it gives this great advice. And then in verse 10, the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times. How many times did the Lord call you before you responded? Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. I love this. Samuel, Samuel, the Lord calls him twice, just like the call of God at the burning bush with Moses. Moses, Moses, it's me. It's not just the burning bush. Abraham, Abraham on Mount Moriah, I've provided a ram. Don't slay your son. Like Simon Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, and this is urgent. I have prayed for you. And when all is done, return to your brothers. Like Saul knocked from his horse on the road to Damascus, blinded by the light, Jesus spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul didn't know the voice of the Lord either. He said, who are you, Lord? said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Then he said this, what do you want me to do? And the double call is given to Samuel. 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 There's an increase in the urgency for him to respond that necessitated the Lord calling twice. Calling four times and then doubling it up. And this was Samuel's call to be the prophet of God, to be God's spokesman and God's voice. And there was a necessity that he responded, and so the urgency grew. 
The urgency grew. You know, when God is calling you, the urgency will grow. I mentioned that in the Devo that we sent out yesterday, the video. It's one of the ways you discern the voice of God that oftentimes, you know, you sense God saying something to you or speaking to your heart and you think, well, maybe I should just wait on this and you set it aside and then the urgency of that begins to just leave. Okay, I'll let that sit. But the Bible says that God knocks, that Jesus knocks at the door of our hearts and and he says, "Here, here I am. Whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. When God is calling you, there will be an urgency that grows. It will become greater and greater and greater. It will force you to want to respond. Samuel, Samuel. Then verse 11, it says this. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I mean, this is the the relationship between the word of the Lord and our hearing. It's so important. I am going to do something that's going to touch the ears of every person. That's what we need God to do in our culture. Verse 12, on that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew. Because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned. Listen to that. It won't be covered. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Blasphemy against God. You know, the New Testament tells it, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit had gone to the point where God said, there's no sacrifice that can cover this sin. It's so great. That's it. It's serious stuff. And this is crazy because this is a young boy who's given this message. And, and you know that the very second he sees Eli the next morning, Eli is going to say, did he call you again? What did he say? And Samuel's going to have a choice before him. Will he be God's voice piece? Will he be God's prophet? Will he be a spokesman for the word of the Lord? It's a hard word. And will he faithfully communicate that that word or will he shirk from the privilege and the responsibility of God's call and bearing God's word? That's the question that we're left with and we're wondering that. And it says in verse 15, Samuel lay there until morning. It doesn't say he slept till morning. There's no more sleeping. He's freaked out. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. I love that it says he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Don't you like that? It's such a hopeful statement when the house of God has open doors. When they're open. But that said, it didn't mean that Samuel wasn't afraid to speak. (laughs) Just because the doors were open didn't mean that there wasn't terror gripping his heart. I, I just love some of these pictures, even for us as a church. Now, verse 16. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said to him, what was it he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you 
And more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. You know, Eli would not rebuke his sons. And so Samuel gives the word of the Lord and rebukes him. And it's a heavy word, isn't it? And it's incredible to me that that Eli, in the midst of God bringing judgment, he says, I want to hear the word of God. Tell me the truth of what the Lord has spoken. And if you won't speak the truth of what God has spoken, may those (laughs) curses or or judgments come upon you. It's like incredible that there, there is a responsibility that's given with being given the word of the Lord. And the responsibility is this, is to speak. And to speak the truth. As Jesus said, to speak the truth in love, as the scripture commands us. Now verse 19, Samuel gives the word, and then verse 19 says, we'll wrap up real quick here because of time. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him again at Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh, by the word of the Lord. Man, this, I mean, when we think about Israel, the crisis was serious. Every man was doing as he saw fit because there was no king. And what did God do? He sent his word. He revealed himself through his word. And you know what, church? That's what we need in a crisis. We need God's word. You need God's word. We need to seek the presence of God. God's word, the Bible says, refreshes your soul. His word brings light to your eyes. It fixes your eyesight so that you're not dim in sight like Eli. David said, the word is a lamp unto your feet. The scripture tells us that God's word makes us wise for life and wise unto salvation. It teaches us the way of salvation. That the word of God refreshes our hearts. And so look at, I want to just encourage you. You need to be reading the word of God. If you're not doing that, you need to get into it. Our church needs to be preaching the word of God. We need to be speaking the word of God to one another. Because it's not being spoken elsewhere, right? We need to speak the word of God to one another. And it makes me think, like, let the doors of the house of the Lord be open for the preaching of his word. Because the preaching of God's word makes men and women wise unto salvation. You know, I think about this text and what's going on in our world. What we don't need is more legislation and more bureaucracy and more rules and more restriction. We need God's word and we need Jesus to reveal himself. Because there's hope. And the lamp is not out. The lamp is not out. And that's what we say over and over again in our church. You heard me say it for many years. We love the written word because it leads us to what? The living word, King Jesus. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Bible says we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And I want to tell you something this morning. We don't have Samuel here. We have Jesus here with us, church. Samuel isn't here, but Jesus is. And in the past, God spoke to men 
to people through men like Samuel, but today the Bible says God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. We got Jesus. We need nothing more. He's the word of God, and we're looking forward to his coming. Let's pray that his word would go forth. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we thank you for this time. We covered a lot of ground, not got real deep, Lord, but we're reminded that, that hope, that the light has not burned out. Lord, we thank you that your word is a light unto our path. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the light of the world. Jesus, you give light to our eyes. We were in darkness before you. Lord Jesus, you've led us into truth. You've led us to salvation. And Jesus, we thank you that you are our great high priest. We thank you, Jesus, that your priesthood is forever. We thank you, Jesus, that your sacrifice on the cross for our sin was the once-for-all sacrifice that atoned for for every crime I ever committed against you, that we ever committed against you. Lord, that when we come to you, there's forgiveness and there's grace. And Lord, you offer eternal life to us. And so, Lord Jesus, this morning, we just remind ourselves, you've conquered the grave, you've conquered death, you have conquered sin, and you have brought us into the light of your kingdom. And for that this morning, we praise you, and we worship you, and we declare that the name of Jesus is above every other name. God, may your grace and your blessing rest on your people this morning. Strengthen their hearts. Encourage them in their hearts, Lord, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, due to time.